Okay, welcome back, folks, for another episode of Pivotal Conversations. Today, I'm joined by Viraj Naik from Travelers Insurance and Rohit Kilapur, one of our app modernization experts here at Pivotal. Uh, Viraj, go ahead and uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, um, my name is Viraj, and I am a lead architect with Travelers Insurance, uh, working in personal insurance line of business. Um, I generally am involved in uh, many applications, but recently I've been involved in cloud applications and and, and spe- specifically uh, around cloud transformation, uh, app transformation. Um, so that's just me. Awesome. Uh, Rohit, how about you go ahead and introduce yourself? You've been on the podcast before. Yeah, this is my second time. Um, my name is Rohit Kelapur. I am one of the app transformation practice leads at Pivot Labs. Uh, what that means in simple English is I help customers migrate workloads and their applications onto Pivotal platform so that they can uh, get the value of the cloud and realize the outcomes that they want from application modernization. I'm really, uh, I'm pretty hot to trot on app modernization these days. And of course, in classic confirmation bias mode, I I come across these reports from like Forrester that says application modernization is like the most important work you're going to do for the next 10 years. And Gartner has their recommendations out. So I'm constantly like sniffing out and, and getting all this feedback from analysts in the market that yeah, this is really important, but I think it's all also challenging because it's not always it's not always the sexy new stuff, but it's like the just the critical work that needs to be done. So I'm really excited to have the two of you on because I think this is this is just like the stuff people need to hear about and, and know that it's 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 not a no fly zone. It's doable. Um, you know, here's how to do it successfully, et cetera. So I'm really excited. Um, and in particular, this, this, this kind of uh, uh, topic came about because um, we've got an upcoming webinar uh, with the two of you, and it's focused on modernizing a .NET application off of mainframe. Um, and so that's another, like two other areas, two other kind of keywords popping up on my radar. Um, so we look at we look at mainframe modernization. Rohit, you and I did a webinar earlier this year on this topic. And um, it's sort of, you know, as as much as people have said, you know, mainframe is dead, right? Like these r- rumors of the death of mainframe have been greatly exaggerated and it, it's still around. And so, um, you know, there's been a long time when folks have, you know, hey, we want to look at how do we how do we get off of mainframes, et cetera. And yet that that story is not new, right? Like you've you've heard this for years. I've heard this for years, decades. So I'm curious, and Viraj, maybe this is really more of a question for you. I'm curious, like what kind of was the catalyst that that really made it happen this time? Because I'm sure that this was not the first time that travelers or like any company, it's not the first time folks have looked at, okay, no, for serious this time, we're going to, we're going to modernize off this mainframe. What happened? What was different this time around? Um, Multiple things, right? Like I think recently we see that there are a lot of market disruptors, right? There are a lot of things that forces uh, change in strategy, change in direction. Uh, So our business also is not uh, insulated from those things. So they are also looking at ways that we can adapt to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, we also want to grow in the market space. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you just want to try out things. Like you, you want a quick experimentation and then also a quick implementation. And and in those cases, you also want to make sure that you, you can scale, you can expand, you can contract, uh, you know, uh, you don't want to build something and just leave it because you don't know if that that is the model that we would want to continue for uh, next two years or six months or whatever. So it, so th- there is that flexibility that uh, we wanted. So what you described about mainframe is true. That has not changed. It's still you know uh, alive, kicking. In fact, performing really well. Mm-hmm. But that, that's the part, like flexibility, scaling. You know, in in terms of uh, going up and down, in terms of capacity. Uh, you know. That was something that we said we have to have 
uh, we cannot really always afford to have like six months of planning or you know uh, having infrastructure uh, you know ready uh, for for these things or growth opportunities and opportunities seldom wait right so you just have to be ready uh, so so that was one of the the key drivers the other mm-hmm. was like as we all know though mainframe has been around uh, for a long time uh, the skill set i mean in in terms of the resources that you have who can work on it who can maintain it who can develop it are very difficult to find it's very hard to you know kind of uh, get hold of that and if you have a mainframe based organization you don't really uh, you know can ingest new talent uh, you know like no one really wants to come and say yeah interesting mainframe i want to work on it right so it's just uh, it was hard so that was and what that leads to is like okay it's total cost of ownership is also going up so you have this flexibility issue you have this uh, you know talent issue and then you also have uh, the cost that goes up so for every business opportunity uh, that you see you have to weigh in against oh do i have resources do i have uh, you know do i have infrastructure uh, so we said we can't wait we had done a lot of pocs uh, you know and and we said no this has to happen as we grow as we move along this has to get addressed we want to make sure that uh, we have a distributed platform which is not just distributed on to dot net uh, you know technology standpoint but from an infrastructure uh, you know standpoint also we wanted to go to a scalable infrastructure that can go on can scale up scale down and it is disposable so tomorrow if we say hey you know what this doesn't look good get rid of it that's fine it's easy it's so it's it's just a marriage of convenience you know so as to say we business was of the opportunity you know looking for the opportunities uh, we had this and then we had a like a cloud platform that um, we thought is 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 a good choice for us to make it happen so that was different this time okay i mean you would, you mentioned some things in terms of you know wanting to be able to try things out quick experimentation quick implementation which definitely that sounds like the antithesis of mainframe and like how anything gets done on the mainframe yes. so uh, just to make sure i'm understanding this you're saying that this that was a blocker to being able to do that kind of quick experimentation and implementation yes yeah. you you're right yeah and that that was one of the things that that would slow you down is to kind of say hey yes we can we can experiment on that that's not not a problem but you know to experiment and to keep the lights on i mean you have systems you have enhancements that are ongoing and then you want to do this experimentation do i have resources do i have the infrastructure to kind of say okay this experimentation would take you know this many amount of this much of mips have i planned for it uh, you know can i accept or can i handle load if i see that experiment uh, succeed you know succeed and and so on so forth so that that always was the challenge and yeah yeah no that's that's interesting like the sort of questions around say you know capacity planning and capacity management with something that you don't know if it's going to work or not so that's that's a almost a business level hindrance rohit does this sort of jive with what you see because you you worked with lots and lots of customers um some modernizing off of mainframe some just modernizing off of other middleware stacks but did those kind of constraints sort of jive with with what you see or is there anything else that you you see kind of come up with with other users yeah i mean the primary two drivers are cost and agility and in case of mainframe modernization skills is like a third aspect which adds itself so cost agility for most uh legacy workloads or classic workloads and then skills is an added component in mainframe modernization mm-hmm. uh, travelers is kind of lucky in that they were able to escape the gravitational pull of the mainframe but a lot of the customers um are still stuck there because all of their critical transactional systems are in mainframe and they are not just in cobol they are in cobol assembler they interface with a lot of external systems they leverage a lot of the secret sauce the mainframe provides in terms of resiliency so i would say that we were kind of lucky in that this was a compute intensive workload which was kind of which was i wouldn't say easy but we were able to pull that out um we had i think initially we did a whole bunch of 
travelers did a, a bunch of POCs to validate that this is possible. And then uh, I guess when the engagement formally began uh, on a proper note, then we were able to kind of leverage that work and, and then pull out these vertical slices of functionality. I like the way that you describe that as the the ability to escape the gravity, the gravitational pull of the mainframe. And and if I'm understanding this correctly, you're sort of describing that, you know, not all mainframe workloads are created equal. And some of them are going to be a lot easier to modernize than others. And looking at how many other dependencies on other systems, et cetera, are one of those maybe indicators that that folks can look at? Am I getting that right? Or is there another way to think about, you know, okay, uh, if the if the workload has this type of criteria, it's in a better position to look at to modernize off the mainframe? Yeah, I mean, this, this specific, so you are absolutely right. It depends on the workload and the criteria you use to evaluate the workload. So this is one where, you know, as Rohit said, this is important and this is critical. And it was... Um, somehow the most important i mean if i were to call it again i'm not uh, you know uh, i'm not able to describe it uh, the, everything is important i mean in all the parts of that mainframe system are important this is like a giant or a big monolith that we're talking about but this is where you know this has an impact on customers where they can come uh, they want to see like what is the rate that travelers is going to offer and we want more and more customers to come try uh, or get a rate and, and as a result Yes, this is very critical, very important uh, function. And it, it is, in, in that sense, if if a part of it had to be modernized and scaled, this was one. There are other parts where, yeah, you know what, we don't need to scale that. That is not as much used or that's not, you know, uh, the things that get. So if you can write it or migrate it on, on a cloud platform, great. But if not... Um, that's fine. There is nothing, you know, where you need to scale up, scale down, or, you know, there are seasonalities to it. Um, but this was one where you you had those variations. It was super critical. Uh, and you wanted something which is robust. I mean, if this clicks or if the business, you know, decides to do certain things and if they want to continue doing that, then we wanted to, to be uh, stable enough to sustain the workloads. And I think what was cool was how we implemented it. I remember now where we, when a, a request for rating a policy came in, we sent it both to the new system that we modernized and the old mainframe system to compare and make sure that the rates that we get are equivalent across the two. And then once we had enough confidence, we switched off the we we switched off the processing on the mainframe so that. And then all of the traffic went to the newer distributed event-based architecture, right? So because it was critical, we had to introduce that safeguard to make sure that we were not regressing any logic or making sure. And we we functionally got the exact same rates that we got on the older mainframe-based system. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And this is kind of actually perfect transition into my next question, which is about, you know, what is the, the workload or the application itself and what... What role does it play? And so this is the like kind of a for someone's getting a quote for insurance. There's a rate rating algorithm essentially that has to run. And then Rohit, what you kind of described, where in the process of making this transition, one of the important kind of safeguards was these things are going to run in parallel for a while. We've we've rebuilt it on a. Uh, a new platform, but it's still running on the mainframe and we can now run these in parallel and check to see if they're actually delivering the same results before we shut down the the mainframe one. So, and then, um, but Raj, you kind of described that this was a particular opponent that needed to scale and that was one of the drivers for identifying it as a good candidate to look at moving off of the mainframe because it had this sort of you know, I don't know if it was seasonal, but just variation in the scaling demands. So, yes. uh, so kind of come coming back to, you know, the the original catalyst, right? As a business trying to be more agile, um, what were some of the things that were going to place more uh, demand on this particular application that you were anticipating these these sort of scaling events were going to start to happen? I mean, um, one of the things that we really wanted to try out was, you know, kind of integrate uh, different um, 
uh, analytical you know capabilities so in order to do that we wanted to see hey if we stand up or we create you know this um, rating you know engine uh, how would it uh, you know kind of we can do what if scenarios right we could you know run we could do it we could do it at a scale so so just to make sure that okay this is something that is working as rohit described you know we want to make sure that the rate is accurate um and again as we kind of integrate as we kind of you know say okay i want to tap into like organize the i the business wants to tap into a new channel new market um this was the part where you know what i, I I'm not going to plan for weeks months and say okay do I have infrastructure ready do I have thing I'm just going to go and say okay just tap into that channel or you know kind of go into that uh, you know uh, today we may have you know kind of had some artificial uh, you know limitations in terms of self imposed so as to stay within our uh, um plans or budgets uh, in terms of infrastructure Mm-hmm. now we can you know uh, remove those uh, you know uh, blockers and say okay open we want to do everything and anything that we really feel we should we shouldn't have any you know limitations uh, or impositions uh, and and that was the the thing that we, yes we we had to be ready we had to kind of make sure no one said hey this is the max that you you could get you could get anything i mean i mean in terms of the workload or as long as you are accurate and we trust um that was the part the scaling uh, or the scaling i mean when i say scaling it's not just upward but you know there are days when okay it's not we don't have demands like on weekends you know typically you don't see as many right we we can scale down um or in some cases in worst scenario if we see issues we could easily turn it off and say hey i i don't want um to kind of use this uh, you know any, any more or tweak it uh, that should be possible Okay. another thing that was very important that for the success of this program which is basically has spanned multiple years now was the organizational commitment from the traveler side to right mm-hmm. because in some sense domain it be, it got worse before it became better mm-hmm. as we started migrating the workloads off the mainframe we i remember we created the distributed architecture there were a whole bunch of microservices there was some initial pain that we had to go through to land on the right uh, set yeah. of services in the right target architecture the right granularity of the services uh, that will do all the processing i mean that's so, so it's uh, in some ways you have to stick with it because the initially there is that pain in way where it it feels much worse and it feels like you're losing a lot of money but then like the short term negative pain then then results in a much more long term benefit so you definitely see some of that in mainframe modernization mm okay that's um well you know first just to kind of close out on some of viraj's points it sounds like there really were kind of two factors with this specific application uh that were sort of drivers around one being able to want to try out sort of different you know there's an analytical component to this particular application and wanting to be able to try out different things uh you know just within the, the team that's operating that i think of it as like a I'm, i'm sure it's like a service into other other applications and endpoints folks want to be able to iterate there and then the second thing was wanting to remove those artificial gatekeepers so that any of those other parts of the business that are like hey we want to run this promotion um but not have to have weeks and weeks of capacity planning and and process and bureaucracy to appropriately request the capacity to run that promotion i can empathize with that right as a marketing person it's like hey can we turn this on like tomorrow um you know like that's the, the you rarely want the answer to be like we need 6 weeks notice um so cuz all my best ideas are like shower ideas and i just immediately come in and be like yes let's do this right now um i'm sure it works the same in insurance like shower ideas prevail. <laughs> um but yeah, you know, Rohit, your point here about I think this is a great thing for folks to to have on their radar and be prepared for, right? The whole like it's going to get worse before it gets better and you talked about finding the right granularity of the services. Like I think this is something that 
Um, I know, you know, talking to some of the Gartner analysts, they, 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 of course, got a bunch of different names for all these different things like, you know, I don't know, macro services or nano services or mini service. I don't know. They're like using all of the terms. Um, but I think the point that they're trying to make is like you sometimes need these different granularities and you don't want to break things down too far because then you do introduce excessive overhead. So, but it's a bit of a journey to find that right granularity. Are there, are there any shortcuts that you think um, exist out there in terms of, you know, finding the right granularity? Is it better to just, you know, go really fine grained and then build back up? Or is it better to kind of go, you know, coarse to slightly less coarse and, and sort of get, get more fine grain from there? Or is it really something that everyone kind of has to ex- figure out on their own because every workload is different? I think uh, I'll let Viraj answer part of yeah. this, but uh, Viraj, you, why don't you go first on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I, I can uh, you know tell you what we did was we started, I mean, again, we had two constraints, right? One, as Rohit said, um, this was something that is not a new business capability that, you know, we had a luxury of saying, okay, this is how it would be. It had to match uh, in order to, so that this fits into the existing mm-hmm. ecosystem, the output had to match not just the output, but the response time also had to match, right? So all your decisions that you are making uh, is like, no one is going to give this application, like, okay, I'll give you extra, you know, 500 milliseconds to produce your response. Uh, So you kind of have those constraints to start with. So you say, okay, yeah, no matter which I'm, and in this case, we started with like, I I remember it was was almost two years ago, but we had about 12 or 13, uh, you know, services because we were like true, microservices like okay only you know single uh, function or single thing that it will do and then we realized that you know what this is fine it's it's really good you know it looks good um, we are pure microservices but then it had overheads like serializing deserializing and and then when you look at it and say okay if i were to do it at scale if i were to say i'm running hundreds and thousands of transactions uh, I'm going to see some degradation and can I, can I, I cannot afford to go over the response time that I have, or I have to meet that SLA. And and that kind of drove us to kind of say, okay, can we consolidate, you know, some of those things? So, you know, Rohit helped us with this domain driven design where we Mm. can say, okay, what is it that we can collapse? How can we not put like, again, you know, create a monolith, but um, just say, okay, these services that you have split apart, they can belong together. I think they they have you know things that are common. They, at least they are of the same domain. Can we put them together? And you know, so we came down from thirteen to I think six that we have now. Yeah, we did. We remember we did that exercise of microservice rationalization. And what we did is we basically put every each one of those thirteen microservices through this six item checklist that Nate Chuta came up. Like he, there is an article that Nathan. Oh, yeah. Should I put up the six factors of a microservice or some? I forget the exact title of that. But yeah. basically, you you take that uh, you take each microservice, you evaluate it on those six criteria, and if it stands on its own, it stands on its own. But if it doesn't stand on its own, you merge it with the other service on which it is dependent on. So we kind of use that six factor rubric to to compress and compact our thirteen microservices into six six or seven odd services. The second thing I remember is that this was a very latency sensitive application because when someone is really asking for a quote, he can't really, you can't really make him wait for so long. So there was a latency budget that really we had across all our individual microservices. We couldn't exceed that target SLA, which was, I don't remember, it was around like 400, 500 milliseconds, but we definitely had this notion of there was a latency budget and the the each microservice kind of had a portion of that and all of them could never exceed that latency budget to meet the overall service level objective of that. Yeah. Yep. And that's something that, I mean, whether it's something that a lot of folks will run into or just if you understand the business use case for this particular application, then you understand that the, the latency budget becomes a determining factor in the architecture. Um, either yeah. way, that's, uh, and, yeah. Absolutely. And because of that, we made certain choices in the architecture too, where we decided not to pass these big message bodies and instead we just passed IDs to the actual uh, code or the, X, the XML payload 
and so we 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 dramatically reduce the cost of of serializing and deserializing these large payloads so we optimized as a result of that choice we optimized the architecture to and engineered it to achieve to achieve that uh, objective mm, yeah okay i think that that's that's helpful and that also starts to get us to our next question which is around you know if you were to do this differently do it all again you know what would you do differently, and and what what do you think you would do the same? <laughs> I mean, I I think I would pretty much do. It would be a just repeat. I mean, it was good, but the only only difference is uh, we have that experience with us. We have that uh, you know what we did, so that will help us. So we don't really have to you know be in that position that Rohit was describing, right, where it gets uncomfortable. So at least we know some of those pains, so we can. Uh, you know, upfront address, but some things that I would want to call out that we would continue to do, uh, you know, is is we would definitely want to do test-driven development. We definitely want to do pair programming, uh, which we have, you know, a kind of practice uh, and, you know, not just uh, survived, but thrived as well. Um, and, and of course, you know, we discussed, we talked about it in the earlier segment where, um, the granularity or, or so just keep it simple like so we said okay let's do it uh what we used to call it as a shoddiest viable product svp just keep it you know get something uh to be there start start building that and then you know improve iteratively um mm-hmm. and then build a lot of automation so those things i would definitely would uh, do it no matter what project uh, uh, it is just a, not just legacy uh, transformation but any project. So if it means I have to redo this project, I would, you know, pretty much do it uh, again. And there is, there is things like, okay, uh, one thing is, as Rohit said, the thing that I would do differently, uh, yes, we did testing to make sure the rates match. Uh, but there were things, uh, you know, like, how does this fit overall into the ecosystem? So as we kind of started integrating this with different applications, different things, uh, we had to kind of, you know, figure things out or they were like, oh, gotcha moment. Like, okay, uh, we, we had to go back, you know, tweak things, come back. Um, if we were to do it again, I would probably, you know, kind of have some focus on making sure that we do uh, overall. I mean, we have a lot of, uh, you know, unit testing and a lot of integration testing within this immediate, uh, you know, application vicinity, but make sure that the application or the product that you are kind of, you know, fitting in, uh, especially in legacy transformation, we do a lot of end-to-end regression testing as uh, you know, often as you can and as early as you can. So it may not be your system that has an issue or that that would create problems, but how those things are consumed or you know the moments, and sometimes they are like so innocuous that you don't even realize that oh, this is what you know how the others are consuming it or they are kind of reading it. That is the only thing that I would be a little more, uh, you know, put more emphasis on. But there is not much that I would change from what we had done. Okay. And I would like to like, someone like Rohit being there. And if I could repeat, like I would want, you know, someone like him to be there next time we start as well. But that's that's one thing. Do our team also underwent some churn, right? Viraj, remember, yep. like as the project went on, yep. we lost a few key members. If, if I had to redo it again, then we, we 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 wouldn't allow them to to go and <laughs> keep them on the project. Uh, we had an awesome team to begin to start with too. Um, as and but testament to the architecture, even when we lost some talented people, the like new people came in and it still it still grew stronger from there. But but when some of the critical folks leave, it does leave that vacuum for a little bit. So I guess that's just life. But um, there is kind of just a statement on on when a project runs runs long like that, your team composition will also change. As long as there is there are is an anchor, strong anchor, uh, like Viraj, then things work out. Uh, even yeah, but we also had like the you know the, the biggest thing that uh, you know we had was the pair programming because mm-hmm. even though people leave, they don't take knowledge with them because the knowledge is spread across, right? So everyone knows about. Uh, everything though they may not really be like super experts in it like oh i know but everyone knew everyone knew uh, enough about it to kind of go into it fix it or uh, look into it and understand it uh, so that was the biggest thing everyone understood different components everyone understood the decisions uh, 
it it is a team you know effort where we were not saying okay you know what we are making a decision go ahead just developers just implement it we kind of collectively you know discuss decisions uh, it was a collective responsibility so as to say hey and as a result lot of uh, you know team members when the, the experienced folks or those who have been uh, you know around left new came in it was not difficult because others were there to onboard them uh, and it, it just felt like the the anchors you know help um in in that sense so yeah it it sounds like from the things Viraj, that you listed you would you would have you would keep were some of these factors that really help build resiliency against things like departures from the team and and i think that that's something worth calling out because like no one's plan for building an app or modernizing an app no one's plan includes x amount of churn on the team doing it like mm-hmm. that's that's sort of this it it's always a surprise and yet if you were to go and measure how all of these projects work out you would probably find a statistical measure of you should anticipate depending on this amount of time you should anticipate this amount of churn and you know it's not necessarily good or bad it's just that this is statistically what you should anticipate and like as the time goes on then you know it's not necessarily linear right you can probably expect a, a slightly increasing rate of churn over duration which just has to do with life as you said and then if if you know if you're statistically you know if you're out of bounds of that sort of standard deviation then you you might have a problem <laughs> but no the point is no one plans for that and yet it's a reality and mm-hmm. so having things like you know pair programming and you know test driven development helps sort of bake in resiliency against it and then just to make sure i, I capture everything else sort of keeping it simple with sort of the the shoddiest viable products mvp approach um, building a lot of automation and then adding in the end-to-end integration testing uh, early and often would, would be kind of like the, these are the things you don't want to uh, skimp on. Um, so, and this, I've got one more question uh, that I want to sort of shift gears to, which is now starting to look at the the stack, the technology side and understanding you know, how you made decisions at selecting different parts of the the technology stack from, you know, .NET and, you know, were you using the steel toe um, components? And uh, you mentioned you had a cloud platform. I assume it's pivotal platform. You know, how did, how did that get selected? Uh, you know, what infrastructure is it running on underneath? Is it in-house? Is it on a cloud provider? And how how did those decisions kind of get made? um well as far as uh, .net is concerned um within at least personal lines um we have .net as a standard platform though we have java we work on you know different things but uh, looking at the skill set looking at you know the the team strength .net is our go to platform if it is new thing um, um unless it's it's something else fits in better like if it is something that we should develop it Uh, based on the availability of either tools or whatever you know kind of blends it into node or something else we tend to you know kind of so .net is given and we in this case we decided to go .net core because we wanted to you know kind of deploy it on the cloud and mm-hmm. you know tomorrow if it is a multi cloud platform we can't always say oh i have to be on a windows uh, you know stack so mm-hmm. .net core was given um steel toe was again something you know as a best practice that we learned um from you know working with pivotal um it's a great you know tool something that will help you build your microservices i mean we don't want to reinvent the wheel you know just to describe steel to like there are things that it provides that otherwise i would have had to write like you know all this connection uh, you know the health check uh, what have you right so why would i write that if it is already you know provided it makes my life easy uh, and if it is you know something that is constantly enhanced and you know updated um so that was also one thing that we definitely wanted to we started with this and we wanted to now kind of continue that all the new things that come up we say still to is must you should use it um other things uh, in you know, in terms of uh, pivotal cloud 
it was it was a thing that we had in house i don't know when it was chosen or and how that decision got made but it was not specific like oh we want to do this and this has to be on pivotal but it was a you know on prem uh, cloud platform that we mm-hmm. have um, it had been you know kind of we had been working on slowly to kind of move application harden it and uh, kind of make sure that we can leverage it the way it was uh, you know intended to be so a lot of things that we did were like kind of no brainer like okay yeah, we have to uh, there, there has to be some of those things that uh, we had to use a because they were the existing tool set or because you know they were the right uh, tools for the things that we were uh, you know trying to do so okay i mean rohit i don't know if you want to add anything uh, because you have been involved uh, in with pivotal and with travelers for a long time so well, and no, if there's any other kind of technology selections that were made, you know, that I didn't mention just because I don't know about them, um, you know, what else kind of went into it that you can share? So we used like, uh, we used .NET Core for most of our development. We used Steeltoe as our, one of our frameworks for connecting to services on the platform for for health checks, for service discovery, for actuators. Um, then we used the, the tools that, the pivotal platform at Travelers has for logging and metrics and monitoring. Mm-hmm. So in reality, we a lot use of- the, yeah, we also use like uh, Rabbit and Redis. Like these are like a uh, you know marketplace services that we have within Pivotal uh, at Travelers. So right. we- Rabbit was our Rabbit was our messaging broker, right? Where mm-hmm. we exchanged all our messages for one of the rate codes. All our microservices communicated through on the RabbitMQ messaging, uh, on the queues uh, to communicate across one another. And then Redis was the cache to hold the big payloads and so that we could only send references across. We didn't have to transfer the whole payload. Mm-hmm. So really it was Rabbit, Redis, Steel2, and .NET Core uh, uh, kind of stack. And so That's I imagine... Pretty much, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I mean, that's pretty much the large you know part of what the tool set we had. Um, then we had something like, for some of these, uh, you know, like when we had uh, some abstract uh, rules that we had to build and validate, we used, a, you know, it's an old framework called fitness, uh, but we just wanted to make sure that we have automation all around. So we just wanted to make sure that we do use that to to validate some of these rules. So anyone, like you know, a business analyst could say, "Hey, I want to try you know this and uh, you know this variable, this variable, and see that rule is applied or it is able to you know uh, produce the same outcome that I am intending it to." And we had that as a part of our build pipeline, where you know we would want to make sure that it passes the fitness. Uh, you know, test and it's a wiki based, uh, you know, tool. Uh, it's old. I mean, I don't think so. A lot of people use it or know it, but it is something that we had. Uh, we used it uh, as well. And what were you using for the build pipeline? We were using Jenkins mm-hmm. uh, for our uh, CI and for CD. We have a in uh, a tool called um, UCD, Urban Code Deploy. So Jenkins was hooked on to UCD and Git was our repository. So uh, we used code, uh, you know, check-in in Git. And then okay. whenever we checked in the, you know, the CI/CD pipeline, we had like other things that were looking at code quality. Like we had SonarQ, which was looking at what it is. And, and then we have Black Duck, which looks at vulnerabilities and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So those were built in, those are standard. There was nothing specific to our project, but they are like a continue the part of our overall uh, pipeline but yeah and i mean just even kind of what you mentioned about is it was it called fitness yes f i t n e s s yeah right like the nike fitness training app or something yeah it's a i think if you search on fitness f i t n e s s e something uh, it's a wiki based you know thing so it's very simple to configure you just need certain setup um, like one of my team member, uh, you know, member had that experience. He he suggested, hey, let's use this for you know this rule testing. Like uh, uh, rather than building something, or rather than you know kind of having someone go through the code or run unit tests just to validate, uh, you know, like if he or she is able to test the rules independently. So we use that, like you know, just 
because we had that tool uh, you know or somebody knew about it so. yeah i mean, i think and also like the the idea of being able to put that in as part of your build pipeline so that any of these a lot of folks think okay well yeah we've got to run our unit tests and our our integration tests and we have that automated and it's like well if you think about the full path to production there's these other points of validation and the to the extent that you can automate those you're going to make subsequent code changes that much more frictionless. So I think it's always interesting to hear like, okay, what are, what are some of the different steps and checkpoints people do have to make sure that they've got production ready code and that they can make those changes easily. So, um, okay. Thanks for the the link. I'll, I'll include that in the show notes. Um, and of course I have to ask a little bit about, rabbit because i spent a lot of time with that team you know you 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 mentioned the um kind of the latency sensitivity uh and how making sure that uh the different microservices they're all communicating via rabbit were you tuning that uh the that sort of set up with rabbit so that you were getting kind of the, the the lowest latency and highest performance results or what were you doing on the on that side if if you're willing to dive into that um i don't think we did a whole lot of tuning there are certain things that we did is uh, you know like the application that we have is important is critical uh, so we we had to make sure that what we use uh, is on demand or you know kind of dedicated in, you know in an uh, instance of rabbit it's mm-hmm. not a shared instance uh, so that we don't have a noisy neighbor, you know, who kind of just uh, influences, uh, you know, or kind of impacts. Um, we did use like uh, the three node cluster so that there is some amount of resiliency, uh, you know, in, into that. So if one server goes down, one VM goes down, we we are still able to, to carry on. And and as, you know, kind of Rohit alluded, uh, we were not really putting in a, a big message uh, or like the, the message size was big, but we were not putting that into Rabbit. So all we were doing is just a notification with an ID saying, hey, you know, this is the ID, you know, go grab it from the cache and work on it. So that way we kind of kept it uh, minimal. Uh, and and then we also made sure that our prefetch count is set enough so that you don't, you know, constantly hit, you know, Rabbit to get work. So you would say, okay, my prefetch count is 10. I'll, you know, take work on 10 things and then, you know, go back and, and get some more. Um, that prefetch count is something that we had to try out, you know, a few times or, you know, kind of make sure that it's it's appropriate uh, and then we are not uh, hitting. So these are some of those things that, that I'm aware of that we, you know, kind of uh, had to learn, had to work on. But uh, other than that, I can't, I'm, I'm still thinking, but I don't think we did anything uh, differently. I mean, do you know of anything that you... Yeah, so uh, Viraj, remember we used the dead letter queue handling from Rabbit? Oh, dead letter, yeah. We had the DLQ handling, which we used. Then we also measured end-to-end latency with distributed tracing with Zipkin, right? So that we could tell for each where, what portion of the entire latency was being spent in each uh microservice what was that span worth what did we do distributed tracing or am uh, I-, I think it, it was not zipkin was not uh, available for dotnet core so we you know we were hoping that it would be but it was not so we never got to that point um but but we used dlq i remember that right yeah yeah dead letter queue f- for sure uh the other thing that we you know since uh, you talked about dead letter queue one of the things that we had seen in some cases uh, uh, is if the message stays long in the queue uh, and we could not really, you know, always reproduce that or say, hey, this is why it happens. Um, we would lose or, you know, sometimes the transaction would just time out after like 20 seconds or 30 seconds because it was just in the queue and every, you know, then the calling system would time out. So what we did was we implemented time to live, you know, kind of on the on the messages. So we didn't want to really, you know, clutter uh, in, even in, in, in accidentally that, oh, messages leaving in there or in that they are not getting cleaned up. So we just make sure that um, beyond a certain time, the mm-hmm. messages should not be in. They just get moved out to dead letter queue and they handle, they are handled as an errors. So 
we also had great support from the business team right remember they they looked at all the validations and made sure that the like all the business rules for mapping of all those policy things were correct so i want to give a shout out to that as well because like there was a lot of business rules in terms of just like mapping and derivations that were on the zos side that we ported to distributed and without their help i mean that would not have been do a practical uh, possible right yeah. so that's and another we, we automated yeah sorry that's so, another yeah, team yeah. inside uh, travelers that was just good to collaborate with yeah these these this was that you can think of these domain as like the business analysts the 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 zos domain experts of that, mm. that system that knew and had that had in some ways worked with the system for a very long time mhm Yes. Yeah, yeah no i think you are right rohit and we had at least two individuals uh, who were part of our team um, who provided there was one who was mainframe you know expert not just mainframe but uh, she had worked on a lot of you know legacy apps um, in, including you know the one that we were you know kind of put, moving from legacy so she was working with us all throughout just to kind of help us you know kind of answer our questions or in some case you know guide us saying hey and in as rohit said you know validating certain things that we were doing making sure that okay yes they indeed are the right way to do so there was that uh, you know tremendous collaboration and not over the email that was you know the thing like it's not like we were sending emails and you know we got we got response we were sitting right next to each other uh, we were sitting in the same you know Uh, area where we could just walk over or we could you know uh, request for a quick huddle and say hey let's talk about this we discovered this how do we fix it so we could you know address things quickly interesting yeah i think that that's also something that you know sometimes folks thinking about co-locating co-locating teams and what not that that's a, a good piece of feedback for folks some um, you know the value of that and one um, more thing that i yeah. i just want to quickly add was um since we were moving at a fast pace and you know we were kind of doing things uh, we also had a focus on automating things right so as you described earlier uh, that we used to compare rates on you know the old and the new system again you know we are talking about not one two or you know 10 we were talking about like thousands of such transactions running and there is no way you could do it without having some automation so we wrote a tool uh, you know which would kind of automate so we just had to say hey here are the you know here is a database go get that uh, you know payload uh, fire these uh, you know uh, requests compare the output and you know uh, spit out the result as to what is the accuracy like it's 99% matching 5% and use that feedback like okay if it didn't match what were those transactions and why did they not match uh, and maybe you know in, in many cases we discovered things that oh which we missed or which we didn't do Uh, so it helped us you know kind of fine tune and not fine tune but in some many cases fix things that we would have missed and you know went in you know we could have gone in production uh, where i'm coming is automation is critical you know especially when you are building something um, like this is and in legacy uh, you know thing where you need to compare uh, you can compare at scale and if you have automation it just helps you you know kind of deliver things um, if not faster on time that you promised yeah um yeah no that's a great point and that's you know in this case it was very specific to the application that you were working with yeah. uh but it was worthwhile to build some automation specific to that just so that you could make these changes with confidence so in some ways it's it's you know to me it's not unlike how you need to write some of those tests first to know that you haven't broken the functionality you need to automate those things so that you can know that you're doing it efficiently. Um okay. Well, I'm just uh trying to be mindful of time. This has been really really interesting and useful to kind of understand the the process and the the tooling and uh the challenges along the way, the trials and tribulations of modernizing an application off of the mainframe into a .net core stack um that's, you know, ready to scale on demand. and making use of a lot of modern technologies. So, um do you have any last words on, you know, how this is delivering value back to the business so far? Um yeah, I mean, they are happy. I mean, at least from what I see that 
they are making plans around kind of saying how do we use this you know uh, not just in like today we we are doing it for one line of business but they are already saying hey how can we do this for the next line of business uh, you know we want something similar um, and we are starting with some other initiatives where we are going to do uh, what we have done in this case uh, build a brand new you know thing in this case in that case it is not going to be a legacy transformation so as to say but it is modeled on on the same thing so again in they if they were not confident that this is working or if this is not something that is producing value um no one would have really you know kind of uh, supported that accepted that um and and then i can i can see that they are making plans for what we have built to be used uh, more effectively and in you know in a much wider you know thing we started with something small only for few states and only for you know certain things um, now you know we are kind of expanding it gradually you know making sure that we soak in all those things that are uh, discovered uh, and then we are going so i think i do see a lot of excitement and lot of uh, you know um, uh, opportunities that business uh, can leverage using what we have built so Yeah, I mean that sounds like there's a lot of confidence in the process and and the results. So, you know, success breeds success. Um Rohit, any any last words from you on folks who are kind of looking at making these types of changes and what you would recommend for how they get started on those engagements? Yeah, get started. I mean, start. That's the big thing. Like uh don't expect it to to be easy, but if the organizational commitment is there, uh you will make progress and over time the the results will be manifold so also understand that it's a journey what the discussion about the results and outcomes that we are having here is the result of a two year project right that we started um this is something like it's like we are discussing we are reviewing a movie here which is just two hours long but it takes like 8 8 9 months to make right so yeah uh, it's a it's a process it's well worth it um and the you realize real costs you realize all those three things that we discussed at the beginning of the call right uh, you realize cost savings you become more agile uh, you now have a set of technologies that your more modern workforce can work with so uh, if cost uh, skills and agility is what you need then you need to put forth a program like this to get more details show to listen in on our june no june january 23rd uh, webinar so we'll get into the deep details and cover all the gory uh, bits of the yeah. information and with visuals those are always and fun visual. you know yeah. nothing like a good uh, you know flow chart or network diagram or something so that we can wrap our heads around what the heck is going on with the, yeah. the these microservices everywhere All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for for joining us and and sharing your experience. This has been uh tremendously insightful. So, thanks and we'll look forward to the the webinar in January 23rd. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.